0: Hi, this is Kevin from the Magic Our Way podcast, and you're listening to the BS Podcast Network. Jumbo, everyone. Harambe. And welcome to another edition of the, the Magic, Magic Our, Our Way, Way podcast. podcast. Sante San, everyone, you are listening to the Magic Our Way podcast from New Orleans, Louisiana, in the United States of America. We are artistic buffs talking Disney stuff. www.magicourway.com is the best place to find everything regarding the Magic Our Way podcast. My name is Kevin. For today's episode, we have a very informative interview about the voiceover industry. If you are not familiar with voiceover, allow me to give you an example. A a Disney example, as it were. Do you know the voice on the monorail that comes over the speakers and tells you what is happening in Walt Disney World or Disneyland? For the hardcore Disney fans, those Jack Wagner monorail spiels? Yeah, you know the one. Please stand clear of the doors. Por favor, manténganse alejado de las puertas. Well, that is voiceover work. Someone took the time to record all of that. You hear voiceover work everywhere from ride spiels to pre-show announcements for a Broadway show, to commercials, to movie trailers, and even video games. The list goes on and on. To learn more about this, we reached out to one of the top professionals in the voiceover industry, Kat Cressida. So, weekends, ladies and gentlemen, enough of my jibber jabber, let's go make some magic. Moikans, ladies and gentlemen, we present to you a top professional in the voiceover industry. This is a person whom you may have seen, but most definitely have heard for over a decade across various media, such as cartoons, to video games, to sporting events. And to make it more close to home for our listeners, you can hear on theme park attractions such as Disney's Haunted Mansion and the Tower of Terror on the magic our way podcast we always tout that we are artistic buffs talking disney stuff and on this episode we are exploring the artistic side of things as danny and i present to you voiceover artist kat cressida welcome to the show kat My pleasure. So my very first question coming out of the gate is this, when did you realize that you were gifted with a great voice? Did you know you had this gift? And by this, I mean, did you do voices and impressions as a child? Did you entertain your friends with it? Or is this something that you developed in your later years?
1: Uh, It's a great question and uh, not to get too right off, right from the get uh, real or authentic, but most of us who are working and lucky enough to work in different parts of the voiceover world, not just one particular modality, we don't think of ourselves. I, I certainly don't think of myself as having a "quote unquote" great voice. Um, there are obviously there are certain types, and I can throw out a, a vocal type so that your listeners will understand immediately what I mean. You know, a Jennifer Lawrence, a Demi Moore, that that super scratchy, husky um, voice. That's obviously a specialty voice, and that's one that um, has a double-edged sword. Because as fabulous as it is to listen to, there's no um, versatility within it. I couldn't possibly do celebrity voice matching if I had one of those voices. Um, but on the flip side, they've got a fabulous voice that you just, you know, you could pull up a chair and just listen to for hours. So I still do not think of myself as having a great voice. In fact, I roll my eyes after I've met someone at, you know, an event or something, and up until then, we're just having a conversation. And then we'll finally get to what I do. And I'll say, Oh, I do voiceover. And then they'll say, Oh, yeah, you've got a great voice. And I'm like, you know what? (laughs) I really don't. I, I really just have an ordinary voice. It's, it's what a voice actor does with their voice in general, that helps them to continue to be, hopefully, you know, relevant and, and blessed to continue to work. So I don't, I don't mean to throw that question back at you, but that is honestly, we're voice actors. Right. Most of us aren't walking around going, oh, I have such a fabulous set of pipes. <laughs> 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 it's not how I think about it at all. And so then to answer the second part of the question, uh, which would have to do more with when did I know that I was able to work with my voice and create something of value with it? Honestly, I mean, some weeks I'm still struggling to believe that. We, we do so much. And we put our voice through so many pastes and the the joke within the voiceover world is our, our day job is auditioning. We're literally auditioning every day, every day, every day. And it's not it's not as um, I'm going to use a term here and I, I don't really mean it. But in the on-camera world, when you go on auditions and you have to do it every day, every day, every day, it's very demoralizing. You're having to learn a set of sides or several different sets of sides. You're having to make yourself look exactly the way they want you for when you walk in the door. You have to wait for hours on end to be seen by the casting person. So for people in on-camera who are going out for those, it's a much more sort of, um, you know, arduous process. For voiceover, especially when you've got a professional home studio, you're just kind of rolling through auditions throughout the day. And because voiceover is a little, well, a much smaller swimming pool, you're automatically, if you're lucky enough to be getting that audition, you're probably... Your odds are a lot better. Our agents will be pulling in the top 10, 15 or 20 gals for each one or maybe just the top 5. And that often is a request. Just send us your top 5 gals for this audition. So, it's um that's what we do. All day long is audition and so to get back to your question, some weeks I'm literally in the booth going, "God, I think I sound terrible on this." Oh my gosh. What, well, you know, and that's just the perfectionist.
0: Is it always an audition? No. Did they hear your voice sometimes and they said, We want Kat Cressida and we're going to give her direction and come up with a certain type of voice for a character?
1: I mean, you can be a direct request where they'll say, Make sure that Kat definitely reads on this, or you can, or they, you know, there's direct bookings. Those definitely happen, especially if you've been lucky enough to be doing it for, you know, I've I've been doing it for close to 18 years at this point. I wouldn't say I was full on successful all those 18 years. The first three years were definitely a huge learning curve. But after that time, you know, you've got repeat buyers, you've got clients who already know you and like you. And so there's a lot of that going on, too. But still, you know, every day, every day, every day, there's the video games, the promos, the trailers, the voice matching, the animation, the pilots, the commercials, you're auditioning on a slew of things every day, as well as being direct booked on things. It's both.
0: Yeah, this kind of reminds me. I'm a musician, and so I know a lot of my colleagues that audition for the big symphonies like Boston and New York and San Francisco and Tokyo. Um, uh, they go through a rigorous process that sounds kind of similar. They're constantly auditioning, trying trying to get that one particular spot. And it's not a matter of fact that the the people you're auditioning against uh, can't do the job. They can all do the job. It's just it sounds like to me it's it's similar in that you're, the people that are doing the auditioning are trying to find that one person that uh, has the sound that they're looking for to match their particular group or project. In your case, uh, am I understanding that right as far as the uh, the voiceover world?
1: Um, yeah. No. That's a very good analogy. Although I would say that, again, it's not so much, if you lined up, I mean, just to throw an example, sure. it, let's say that there's, um, you know, they're looking for the new voice for, um, I'll just throw out a network for the heck of it, you know, uh, let's say biography channels looking for a female voice to do imaging and promos for them to alternate with their main male voice. Let's say that's the, the situation. Um, it's not so much a sound that they're looking for. It's a sensibility. It's what you're bringing to the script. Because I can sound, again, because one of my specialties is voice matching, I can sound um, pretty much any way that someone r- requests. Um, and the, the direction says silky, smooth, nonchalant. Right. Throw those adjectives in a blender. You know, I'll come up with something that is following those specs. But it's what I do with the copy. It's how I lift it off the page and how I deliver it. So, it, again, is much more about acting.
0: Just kind of go along with that. I was, that was one of my questions is uh, about the delivery of a line. I noticed that you graduated with a double degree in, in, in Shakespeare as well as a theater design. So I'm sure you have a lot of theater experience uh, to back you up as well. And mm-hmm. I, I work a lot with Broadway theater and stuff. And so I know the way that you, just like musicians, the way you deliver a particular phrase or a line is very important to what you do. Um, what is your approach to finding that special, I guess, special spark, so to speak, and that may, may not be a good term, um, to, to deliver a line in the the perfect way for that particular situation? Like, Is there a process that you go through through that?
1: It really, I mean, again, great questions. It really depends on what type of script it is. I put on, for, for want of a, again, without getting too esoteric, but to, to make it, sort of accessible to anybody who's not in the entertainment world. I know that I'm entering a specific uh, universe depending on what kind of copy. So if it's commercial copy, meaning um, retail, you know, McDonald's, Wendy's hamburgers, Nike shoes, you know, commercials, straight on commercials. In general, I'm already going to enter that copy with a certain mindset, a certain understanding of what my job is to bring to it. Now, there's a whole variety of voices that could be appropriate. McDonald's could be, you know, warm, real, casual, upbeat. Nike could be very dry and serious. Wendy's hamburgers could be, you know, very playful and sarcastic. You know, they'll ask for different things, but it's a commercial. So I already know going into it, there's a certain knowability and universe that that exists in. Whereas if I go to promos, and promos by refers to all of that promo announcing that you hear, you know, coming up next on NBC or next week on this, you know, on Heroes, blah, 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 blah. The any voice that you hear that's identifying shows and the lineup of shows on a on a channel or a network that's promo. That's a whole different sensibility because your job in that is a much, It's got a whole different slant and uh, mindset behind it. So I could go on and on and on about this forever, and I don't want to bore your listeners. No, but no. <laughs> in general, your your job in a commercial is to be the best friend or the person next door or the neighbor. Who suggests something awesome that you can trust and that you're going to believe them because they sound like they really believe in it and they know what they're talking about? Not the salesperson. That that was back in the '70s. The whole Gary Owens, you know, really hitting things hard. The sensibility these days for commercials is, you know, keep it real, non-announcery, keep it warm, you know, very authentic. In promos, your job is more to sort of grab the person by their, you know, by their shirt collar and kind of playfully push them up against the wall and get them to you know say you got to watch this man i mean this is awesome not that voice and not those lines but that momentum and that mindset then you can shift over to animation pilots and your job there is to completely disappear into the project and take on whatever the characters are are supposed to be and that's a whole other thing and then video games is a whole other universe mindset in general where you know that your job is to support the gameplay is what matters so you're Mm -hmm. supporting the gameplay and the characters these days in general unless it's like a kid's title is very real they want it You know, like you're living in that world. And so you're going to take everything down to a very intimate, real, not hushed as in vocal quality, but hushed as in your energy. It's very, very, the person's playing the game. They're probably in it for hours. (laughs) They don't want one false beat. They want to believe everything that's going on there. So it's a very, there's a very long answer to, again, it's what, it's not so much um, what you're going to do with the line. It's the universe that you're in. And then on top of that, then you have to take whatever direction is given to, to you.
0: Yeah, yeah, I could get into the you know being, I could get into the myusha and I could listen to that, and then everything goes behind it. But just for the listeners aside, look when you when they go on the monorail or anything else, and you hear those those voiceovers and stuff, there there a lot goes into that. And, and you know we talk about this on the show. You know we're artists and the stuff that we do. Um, there, there's a lot that goes into what you see on an everyday basis. That you, I guess I don't know. Not to say that people take it for granted, but there de- there's definitely some work and thought into that. Oh, they definitely, yeah, yeah. I mean,
1: and it's funny that you mentioned the monorail, because I literally was just um, playing VIP tour guide to someone two weeks ago, and I actually brought that up. Oh. People absolutely do take voiceover for granted, and not in a not in a mean way. It's just, it's a hidden craft still in, in so many different ways, and it it still cracks me up. Not so much in L.A. because people obviously in L.A. are very aware of the industry. And certainly since celebrities started to do voiceover avidly about 10, 15 years ago, it's it's becoming more in the spotlight. But if I travel outside of California and New York, pretty much anywhere else in the United States, if someone asks me what I do for a living and I answer them, there's a good chance the person's going to say back to me, Oh you can make a living at that or people do that? <laughs> you mean that's somebody's job and I always feel like saying when you turn on the television who do you think is talking? You know it's like they don't think about it. And of course it's there. You know even even something as silly as Siri, you know on your iPhone Someone recorded that. And when you're listening on a hold, and a lot of times you, you hate it because you're emotionally you're being put on hold and you've got business to do. And you know, usually those aren't the most pleasant voices to listen right, to anyway. Right. But there's a million uses for voiceover. And anytime you turn on your TV or radio yeah. or Watch a cartoon or play a video game? Of course, someone professional has recorded that. Right. Kat,
0: you touched upon something that I would like to ask you about. You mentioned something about mainstream actors and celebrities doing voiceover work, and now it has become a badge of honor for a celebrity to voice a character in a Disney or Pixar cartoon. As a voiceover artist, what are your thoughts about celebrities getting involved in your line of work?
1: (laughs) Oh that's a loaded question. Oh, no, no. Um, oh I didn't
0: mean, to load up a question. <laughs> no, it it's okay.
1: Out. I mean, people ask me that all the time. Um and obviously I have to be uh, you know, I have I have to be very diplomatic in in the response and there's and there's a, and there's a number of different answers to it. But and, and there's different sides to it. One of the things that I ended up early on really falling in love with and that was just luck of the draw. Seriously, just the way the way someone, you know, as a four-year-old suddenly starts dancing and really loves dancing and decides that's their passion or someone just naturally really falls into science and spends hours and hours and hours getting into science and the parents are like, where did they get that from? You know, we all, we seem to have proclivities as, as a youngster that lean us towards certain things. Early, early on, and and I think it goes back to listening to uh, Disney Records when I was a little girl and the storytelling and, you know, when Tinkerbell rings her bell, turn the page and loving musical comedy was a big part of what was played in my household. Um, my my grandparents, who helped raise me, and my mom both loved Broadway. So in the background, back in the day when there were records and then for, yeah. <laughs> for a heartbeat, there were eight tracks. Um, <laughs> yeah.
0: I have an 8 track changer. <laughs> yeah, and
1: cassettes. We yes. we always had musicals playing and and on top of that again the Disney records. So I naturally sort of fell in love with all the different voices and for for whatever reason again because it was just my genetic makeup, I was fascinated with how different voices could sound and I recognized differences very early on and If you go into musical comedy as a kid, anybody who who really pursues that as a hobby and a passion, naturally, especially back when I was younger, because we didn't have the internet, you know, your only connection to a Broadway show was the record. And as a kid, you naturally mimic. So if you're going to audition for I, I wanna pull, you know, guys and dolls, let's just pull that one out. You're you're listening to what people did for those characters. Initially from the Broadway recording, and then you sort of just because you're too young to know, you no one's telling, usually, no one's saying, make it your own, you know, don't you're naturally just imitating what you've heard on the record. So, you know, for example, Adelaide was one of the first voice matches that I was doing. And I was doing early on because I thought, oh, that's the character. That's how she's supposed to sound. And so you're naturally taking that on. And I think anybody who's done musical comedy can relate to this. You're sort of naturally just imitating yeah. what you've heard over and over and over again before you went to audition something. So early on, I was getting a primer for voice matching.
0: Yeah, so that kind of reminds me, like, I, I've done the show, uh, what, Little Shop of Horrors, and everybody tries to do the Ellen Green Audrey. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: You know, and some, some, yeah. some do it and some just... Try, <laughs> I'll just yeah, I'll put I mean, it like that's,
1: that. And that's a very, that's a very very extreme, you know, version of that. But yes, but. It's not until your teen years or your college years when you start to realize, oh, I can do this character and I can bring my own interpretation to it. I don't have to be imitating what someone did 25 years ago on the Broadway recording album, but you don't get that as a kid. So therefore, because I loved voice matching, dialects always really intrigued me. I was naturally just imitating out loud. I was mimicking back what I heard softly to myself not not, I wasn't like a Robin Williams or anything I was just sort of like picking up on the differences and fascinated by it early on so to answer the question about celebrities in a way I'm very fortunate that there is so much of that because it's given me a very unique cool niche to be a part of which is the celebrity voice matching which comes up every day every day every day in several different parts of the voiceover world so if celebrities weren't doing so much, I, there wouldn't be the need for that. However, if they weren't doing so much, you know, I probably would be doing more, or, or, you know, fresh original pilots of animation and Disney animated features because, of course, they've taken that over pretty much completely. To, to answer on a more broad spectrum, I think most of us in the voiceover community are understanding of why it, it's become what it is. It doesn't make us sad. You know, deep down, I, I would have to guess for most of us, yes, because something that we aspired to and always dreamed of doing, you know, has been has been shifted. And Walt certainly, you know, Walt hired a lot of, um, you know, radio celebrities and luminaries, but not not always, you know, he, he was OK with working actors as well and great character actors as well, as long as their voice really fit the, the character in his imagination or, or against the animation. So it is a bummer on the one hand, and there's. Definitely, certain parts of certain communities within the um, entertainment industry, where that's all they look for, um, is someone's name and recognizability, and also, unfortunately, now their social media numbers, which is bananas. But um, that that has become a part of it as well. But I feel overall, and and I'm being truthful, very lucky to doing what I do, and very really. And I'm not I'm not religious, so when I say this word, it's more on a a holistic sense of it, really blessed to be doing what I'm doing and making a living at it and getting to be creative. And it is what it is. And that's, that's about as honest an answer as you know, I could possibly give to your awesome.
0: No, you really went above and beyond answering the question. I appreciate that. What I was going to say is that you do Jesse or rather voice match Joan Cusack so very well. And I do know Tom Hanks' brother does Woody, so genetically, he has the voice of Tom Hanks. I've heard him speak, and he goes into it fairly easily. Whereas with Joan Cusack, there's no genetic predisposition to be able to voice match her. I'm imagining that you had to lock yourself in the room and watch a lot of Joan Cusack movies before you got to the point to perfectly (laughs) voice match Jesse. Oh, Yeah. Can, can, you, can you give us a little process of how we, you would approach? Like, say, hey, you got the gig for doing Toy Story Two. You're doing Jesse, and you got to sound like Joan Cusack. W- what did you do for, exactly for that? This this would be interesting to me.
1: Sure, and and just to clarify, because I I have mad respect for her, and you know, I I didn't voice. She she's she's obviously Jesse in the features, right? You know. Correct. Um, Except for the occasional if there's if there's a looping or something needed for a drop in a in a quick line, but she's she is the voice of Jesse. I'm lucky to do it for a lot of you know ancillary things, Disney on ice and video games and that sort of thing. So I mean, jesse, Jesse's definitely an extreme version of what happens for voice matching because every day, especially for movie trailers, um and i I just want to say, say this out loud, actually, um there will be there will have already broadcast by the time this is out a fantastic on camera interview uh, interview that I do for voice chasers which you'll be able to go back and you know still see and anybody who's interested in movie trailers and and that we talk a lot about that in that one but for movie trailers it comes up every day several times a day different voice matches for different lines as those trailers are moving through their development so i have to be able to jump in and out of matches and take them on uh, very, very quickly. And that's um, part, part of the skill set, is how quickly you can uh, disappear into the voice and the dialect and the tonality and the pace and the phrasing. Um, Jesse, obviously, I mean, Joan Cusack has such an uh, animation character sound, naturally. And in some ways that's great, because it's very distinct. So there's really distinct things to aim for. Um, a voice such as Julia Roberts is a lot, in a lot of ways, a lot harder to match. Not that it's physically harder or more exhausting, mm-hmm. but because, uh, you know, there's a lot of energy and everything else that goes into Je- Jesse. But it's harder in that there's nothing um, exaggerated, there's nothing to hook into. There's not like Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck. Donald Duck, Goofy, Mickey Mouse, there's very distinct isms that help a voice actor lock into and work towards that voice. If it's a real person and you're voice matching them, you have to dig a lot deeper and get way more creative to trick the ear into believing that it's that person. You have to really be listening carefully. So the good news about Jessie is that there were a lot of, um, to borrow Walt's term, weenies within her voice. There's a lot of things to aim for and to head for and to to make your goal. Her her flat Midwestern dialect, her flat Midwestern dialect layered with occasional, you know, cowgirlisms, her yodeling and her um, yeehaws, uh, her high, high energy, where her voice sits just, you know, pitch wise and tonally. The fact that she speaks very distinctively, you know, your, your mouth literally has to twist into a very specific placement to sound like her because, of course, she's got all kinds of awesome isms going on with her voice that make it sound like her. So that was the good news was there was a lot to aim for. Of course, the balance side of that is you're then juggling an awful lot to keep that voice consistent and make sure that it doesn't, no no one part of those drop out during the match. And yes, I spent, I spent hours initially, not just listening to the voice, but more importantly, watching the actress and watching her mouth and watching how it was placed. And we call it, or I call it, you know, putting on the mask, basically putting on imagining myself literally speaking through her mask and you know taking the the actress's on camera performance as a clue to a lot of why her voice sounds the way that it you know does and man does she have an awesome sense of humor it's also her phrasing it's not just imitating the actual just voice it's what she does with her phrases and her quirkiness and her awesomeness and her excitement and and then how she can suddenly dip into very quiet and almost dangerous sounding I I adore her but yeah hours and hours and hours of really really trying to soak it all in and you don't always get that luxury but as I was working towards it a lot of a lot to aim for
0: you know I remember a story a friend of mine told me regarding an interview with Steve Whitmire who now voices Kermit the Frog And kind of like you were talking about, when Kermit the Frog was passed on to him, he tried to do the voice, but he couldn't quite get it right. He then saw a video of Jim Henson doing Kermit and saw him physically do something with his mouth. After that, Steve did what Jim Henson was doing with his mouth, and the voice came a little more naturally to him. So that makes perfect sense that watching performances of Joan Cusack would enable you to give a better performance. My question to you, though, is this. Creatively, what is more satisfying to you? Is it when you voice match and perfectly nail that character? Or is it when you get to come up with a unique voice for a completely new character? Which is more creatively satisfying?
1: You know, you would think... That it would be the latter, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Because I think about that a lot. Because, and at a certain point in your life, you start to think about your legacy and what you're leaving behind, and what you're, you know, what you might be known for, or what how people think of you. That that's something that that you start to think about. And I don't like. I mean, one of the reasons I love voiceover is in general, it's a less all about me kind of a culture than the on-camera world can be I'm not saying everybody in it I'm not saying every on-camera actor is you know egocentric or narcissistic or anything like that but there's a certain you have to in a sense have a certain self-absorption to be a really great actor because you're constantly you're a product putting it out there and you're you're making sure that your product (laughs) sells for want of a better word and the really great actors don't think of it that way, but it is, it's certainly a lot less, a, a lot more self observant than, say, being a doctor, mm-hmm. being an accountant. You're really in the mirror a lot. So, one of the things I love about VoiceOver is it's a lot less about that and it's more about just disappearing into the project and um, not all about that product. But I, I actually, I've been asked this question a lot lately, and maybe because I've been lucky enough to already have created some great character, you know, been lucky enough to have producers and creators create great, char- great characters that I then could be a partner in creating great sound for. I really get off on the nailing of a voice match. There's something so and it's inexplic- it's really inexplicable inexplic- to me. I'm not a scientist. In fact, it was one of my weakest subjects. Math I was only good at. I, I was good at math because if you followed a certain formula, you were always you were going to get it right. And things like geometry and you know I, I excel at science eluded me. I I really sucked at it. And as math got more complex into calculus, it was like, forget it. <laughs> Game over. I'm out. My brain just couldn't latch on to it. It's astounding to me when I hear myself talk- talking about voice matching because it's the science of it and the deep, deep science of breaking down the audio elements, the audio elements. And I I refer to it and I like this term because it's it really is what's going on. It's an audio illusion. You're trying to trick, in voice matching, you're trying to trick the listener into believing it's whomever they, they believe it's supposed to be. Um, that, that actor, that character, whoever you're matching, it's, it's an audio illusion. And you're supposed to sustain it and never let it drop so they don't ever suspect that it's not the actual um, talent. Which, by the way, is different from impersonations, which I get asked a lot. You know, Robin Williams did phenomenal impersonations. And the point of his impersonations was so that you got it immediately, you knew exactly who he was imitating, and it was hilarious. Voice mask very much the opposite. You are not supposed to bring attention to it. It's supposed to literally disappear within the project. You're supposed to totally believe it's that person. And more often than not, you're not trying to get laughs with it. You're just trying to sustain the believability that it's that character. So... There's something about the deep craft of voice matching that just turns me on beyond almost anything else in in voiceover these days. Maybe maybe I'll pass into another phase in 5 years where I don't feel that way, but there's nothing more satisfying to me than being on the line with a producer via ISDN or phone patch or, you know, live in the studio. And they've met me at the door sometimes they literally are staring at me like you're the person who did it you know you're who we hired for this right. <laughs> yeah because they're they're picturing whoever it is and and then i get to the mic and they're just blown away they're just like wow oh my god i literally got chills i felt like i was actually with and i love it you've engaged the imagination and for those few moments you are that person the way a magician suspends your disbelief and for those few moments that table is floating you know that handkerchief did disappear and deep down you know it's it's just an illusion but man when it sings it soars it's an awesome feeling for me and I I guess also because I got lucky that I'm naturally somewhat adept at it and I work at it every day and it's definitely not I have to keep working at it But it's great that it's something that I loved early on as a kid and that I can still do.
0: So let me ask you this. When you're up for a voice, how much do you want to know about that character you were voicing? Do you want to see the look of the character? Do you want to have an idea of the personality or the motivations of the character? Or do you just want to go in blind and have the director give you some direction as to what the character should sound like? How much do you want to know about what you're voicing before you go in?
1: You mean for... You keep saying character. So, again, because I do so many different parts of voiceover, are you talking about for, like, video games and and animation, or...?
0: Well, I'm taking this as if you're going up for an audition. How much do you want to know about the character? For example, in The Haunted Mansion, you were up for Constance, and if memory serves me correctly, you had no idea what you were up for. And you almost wish that you didn't know what you were up for, because if you knew what you were up for, the pressure could have brought you down a little bit and could have made it a little harder to find that voice. Whereas perhaps seeing the look of the character might give you an idea, such as this person is a little bit slouchy, so he's going to sound this way or that way. In short, how much does the look of a character manipulate what you do for its voice?
1: So, again, it sounds like you're asking for specifically for animation or character work, right? Because, again...
0: Okay, actually, yes, sure.
1: Because we, we do so much that has nothing to do with char- characters. So, um, in general... For every audition, you want to know as much as you possibly can know so that you can give the listener, the buyer, the client what they have in their imagination. They've come to the project having worked on it, you know, if it's a commercial, maybe a month, maybe if it's a campaign, maybe three months, four months, five months. If it's uh, the voice of, you know, a network, they have a very distinct idea of what their brand is and what they're looking for from, they know know what they want they, they certainly have talked about it a lot in a lot of meetings before they put out the auditions they've also worked within their network for a long time so they know its sensibility and what what appeals to their watchers um, to their audience for an animation character you have to believe uh, for a pilot that's probably been in the gestation period for that creator for a long time probably for a lot of them dating back to their childhood. They may have been picturing what they were going to do with that character. Um, I just read a great interview with Spielberg where it's fascinating, but a lot of his movies he already had drafted short stories for or scripts when he was a teenager, but maybe they didn't get made for 30 years or 20 years or 15 years. So the more you know about what the creators have in mind, hopefully – the closer you can get to trying to deliver something within their universe um, and I don't, I, I so appreciate you guys, I have so much respect and mad mad admiration for how much <laughs> research you did going into this, I really really applaud you for it I, I don't think I ever said um, I wish I didn't know what it was for you know, in auditioning for Constance because knowing that it was for a classic um, and, you know, classic attraction, knowing that it was um, for the Haunted Mansion in the final callback, being told we're looking for something that feels like part of that universe, that all shaped what I brought to the role. And thankfully, it was a universe that I already was deeply in love with and knew a lot about. So it certainly helped me. If someone hadn't told me that, there's a very good shot. I never would have booked it because I wouldn't have known what universe we're playing in, what what I'm trying to seamlessly fit into. I, I think I probably that that comment may have been more like you know it was intimidating to know what it was for.
0: Actually, that's exactly what the comment yeah. was. Yes, and I'm sorry. No, I was that's trying okay. to give you some context and to explain the question.
1: Okay. But but as a you know, and I don't I don't think of myself as an artist, you know, artiste. I, I, that word never applies to me. But it's sweet of you guys to use it. But as a as a VO talent, definitely the more information I have, probably. Um, the better I'm going to do in terms of delivering something within, you know, p- if you're you know, picture swinging at a at a golf ball and the, the sort of that little round green near the flag, you know, I'm going to get it somewhere. And I don't play golf professionally, but I, I love that image because you want to knock it somewhere within that circumference, and then within that, you want to bring some amount of personalization, your own sensibility to it, because and this this is like literally acting 101 and it's the hardest lesson in the world for most of us. And it's one that we struggle with every day, every day, every day, despite, I mean, I've been acting now close to, (laughs) if you're doing the math, 35 years of my life, you know, since I first started to really get into it, um, as a taught. So the the struggle is you want to deliver something that they're looking for, They have it in mind. It's their project. You want to appeal to them. But how do you bring something personal that only you can so excel at that nobody else is going to come close to being that good at whatever that is? And you think of all of the famous characters. Obviously, there's a deep amount of personalization that's gone into those original characters that make them so fabulous. And the person probably brought some part of their... Whatever their personality, their thought process, their intelligence, their sarcasm, their goofiness, whatever you know was uniquely them that really made that character pop. So, I want to know as much as I can, but then at a certain point, hopefully, and I don't always succeed at this, I, I certainly it's something I, like I said, I struggle with all the time. At a certain point, I have to pull back a little bit and go, okay, so this is what they say that they really, really, really want. And these are all the things that are on their wish list. But let's not forget what I can also maybe bring to the table or my version of this. Or maybe I won't even pay attention to that particular spec because on a gut instinct, Mm -hmm. this is how I would deliver it as best as possible for me. And a lot of times, as any great director and writer, producer in Hollywood will say, it was that unique choice or that personalized choice that got that person the role because they did do something unique or a little bit off kilter or different than what was asked for. So you you kind of walk that tightrope a lot and for me it's a big danger spot, a big danger zone because I'm so good I'm so adept at this point, I want to say good. There's so much more to learn and believe me, I'm not nearly as good as the people I admire, but I'm so adept at this point of disappearing into other voices. That a lot of times I have to really think a moment and go, yeah, but Cat Cressida, you know, she's her own personality. What would she bring to this? Don't try to be what you think someone else would bring to it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So um, yeah, it's it's both. And and yes, you you know, I hope that answered your question. But you do try and get as much as you possibly can. As far as the animation of the character, for me personally, and I'm sure this is very different for different voice. T- so you probably get a different answer from each person but it, it definitely helps to see what the character is supposed to be but a lot of times it's not as helpful as you would think it would be and I'll just you know I'll just bring out an example uh, I think that movie trolls is coming out soon it's coming out in November and there they're all those cute little trolls you know the ones the ones from like the 60s or 70s those little cupid doll troll thingies and That's a a very specific look. Um, None of the voice talent, of course, look anything like them because they hired all celebrities. So um, they're bringing their own unique personality to it, but they're just so generic looking in a sense. I mean, I hope that's not... I don't mean it to be a put-down, but they have a certain look to them that's very specific. To me, that's not very helpful. Certainly attributes of the individual character. Maybe they've got a mean-looking scowly face or maybe they look super cheerful or... That can help, but... um, only up to a point and then you just got to really use your imagination and focus more on the personality and the script and the words and bring the words to life and not so much worry about what the what the animation looks like usually
0: just speaking in pure generalities is it common in this industry to go in and audition for voice and not have any idea what you're auditioning for In other words, during the course of the session, they have given you direction, obviously, but, I mean, you don't completely know because they don't want the word to get out that they are auditioning for this movie or that role or whatever. Is that something that you deal with often?
1: Yes. And we sign NDAs, and I always find that funny because then they don't tell... Well, sometimes they don't tell us anything about it anyway. So you sign an NDA, but then they're using code names, and they're not... You know, they're they're trying as hard as they can not to release but it's obvious. Like we just auditioned for something that had a completely generic name. I think it was some, you know, M- Metallica. I think it was called Metallica, which was just, <laughs> they just called it that. And of course we knew that wasn't the name of the video game. And the kit, ca- they did give us uh, animation for it and dialogue. And we weren't supposed to know, but within about two sentences, you go, Oh, it's Batman. I mean, obviously they're, t- they're talking about care. You know, the characters are in the copy. So, they're referring to names that we know within the Batman universe. So that, ha- that happens a lot where you just go, oh. And sometimes even for gigs, I showed up for one. I think it was Arkham Knight. Actually, not that I'm all about Batman. But I showed up for a gig. I'd been hired. I wasn't told what characters I was doing. I was just told, and literally the name of the project was Aerosmith. And <laughs> y- you know, I knew that that wasn't going to be it. But the moment I got behind the monitor and you see your copy... You, you know what you're doing. Uh, so, um, But it's, it's interesting because I think they really are struggling, of course, in this age of so much piracy and social media. They really want things to be a surprise. And I understand why they wouldn't want voice talent to be running around having seen the scripts. And, but on the other hand, you got to give them something or we're not going to necessarily deliver.
0: So how much freedom do they give you in the booth? Do they let you ad lib a little bit? Do they let you go outside of the script?
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, well, again, depends on the project. So promos no promos are very specifically written and within a very tight time and there's no time to improvise you're you're delivering something in 10 seconds or 15 seconds or 30 seconds and usually you're you're fighting hard to get it within that time frame so no improv and they and that's very specific they know exactly what you know you're describing the show and there's so there's no improvising in those animation absolutely especially if it's a pilot usually they'll say feel free to play with it bring you know You don't want to go so far off the script that, like, you wouldn't want to pull a Robin Williams, A, because none of us are going to be nearly as brilliant as him, most of us, and B, because you got to respect the writers. They've spent a long time building that script and creating those characters. So you don't want to be disrespectful by going completely off script. But within within reason, you want to play with it, make it your own a little bit, add some isms, add some, you know, asides, some tags, some funny buttons video games it really depends on the title um if it's a specific universe well some of them you couldn't possibly improvise it even if you know like elder scrolls i mean that was a very dense very i mean this in the best sense a very challenging very challenging copy because it's dense with all kinds of words and pronunciations and lands and that you don't know I mean, I don't know when I go into those sessions. So you're just holding on for dear life, praying that you're getting everything right. So I, (laughs) (laughs) there's no room really to be improvising within those. And I think for those, they wouldn't want it because they've specifically they know exactly what's going on in the game. So um, I don't think there's as much freedom there. And commercials, yeah, they often like it when you go in for a commercial if there's time and if it's not straight announcer copy characters within a commercial they're fine for you to be playful and try to bring something to it
0: so kat you've mentioned some of the video games that you've done i have to ask are you a gamer at all because i've got to imagine that at the very least you are given a copy of these games just so that you can take a look at the work that you have done do you play video games
1: <laughs> um <laughs> ooh. no i i'm not a gamer mm-hmm. um i do I do make it my business. If I'm lucky enough to have been part of a title for a while, I try to, you know, I'll watch, I'll go on to um, YouTube and watch the gameplay, so, you know, is all over the place. You don't even have to be a gamer and I can really get a sense of what, what the game is. I um, I don't have the brain for it or the patience for it. And it's not something that, that personally is what I do with, with, you know, it's not one of my hobbies. But I have mad respect for it, and I 'm always fascinated by the intelligence that goes into some of these games. you know you really have to be uh, incredibly smart and incredibly on your on your game to be playing some of these so no i i don't I, I think i I was an avid gamer back when I was ten. And they have those little little simplistic, you know, Frogger and all of those things.
0: Well, (laughs) yes, now that I'm a father, I don't get to play as much. But I remember back in the day, voiceovers and gameplay were very, very short. Now you can cut out the gameplay entirely and still have over an hour and a half of cutscenes where you have dialogue. Kind of like watching a little movie within that video game.
1: Yeah, they're full. They're 360 entertainments at this point with cinematics and all kinds of things going on.
0: Uh, so a couple of things, something I want to know is um, your idols for voiceover. Who, who are, are people that you kind of look up to or a uh, study, maybe listen to?
1: Sure. Um, well, I probably uh, don't study anymore any professional voice talents. I- again, there's sort of the hope that at this point I'm trusting my, my gut instincts and following, you know, um, my instincts. But in terms of who I look up to and who was a guiding force, particularly when I started, I would say all of the people that were a generation or generation and a half above me, um, when I got into it, you know, um, Jim Cummings and Tress McNeil and, uh, Chris Cavanaugh and Kat say And, um, uh, Tom Kenny was in it a, certainly a little bit before I was Jeff Bennett, Rob Paulson, um, Mary Kay Bergman, who sadly is no longer with us. Um, those, those people were my, who I really looked up to. And Corey Burton is still someone who, you know, I don't, I don't study him, but I have mad respect for and, uh, really, really deeply appreciate all of their gifts and their talents. So all, all the people that were sort of, you know, doing it when I was lucky enough to trip and fall into it and start to learn as much as I as I could I did study all of their um, they were cassettes back then
0: <laughs> yeah right, years right. Ago.
1: <laughs> but I would study their their vo cassettes yeah. and CDs and try to to you know just learn as much as I possibly could and and I still look up to all of them they're still incredible forces
0: so I've always wondered this what do you do when you have a sore throat or cold <laughs>
1: I also was also. I was saying that to someone yesterday. I was making this joke. You, I mean, we don't have that luxury. I mean, the short the short answer is, I make sure that I don't get sick. And fortunately, these days, and, and this may be. I hope I'm not blowing the minds of some of some of the people listening to this. But there are there are actually things that you can take regularly, and even at the onset of a cold, even if. You have to be somewhat in, in tune with your body and be paying attention to your throat and and your nose. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, you can, can catch that early on and head it off at the pass if you take enough awesome, you know, homeopathics and Chinese herbs. And there's definitely stuff you can take, oregano you know, oregano oil and all that that will kill the cold before it becomes a cold. And I honestly haven't been quote unquote sick in that old fashioned I caught a cold way. For about, I would say, nine years. Wow. <laughs> and I mean, that's just, a, I don't want to, I hope this is not coming off as anything other than authentic. But if you're going to make your living with your voice, it's got to become part of your well-being. You know, taking care of yourself and your well-being becomes a priority in a way that, same with an athlete. You know, they're, they're probably taking a lot of precautions not to get sick. Because it can affect their performance. So you just think about it differently. And people who are accountants and lawyers, and you know, where they can still, it sucks. You don't like, anybody, nobody likes to work when they're sick, but they can still do their job. I don't have that luxury. If I get sick and I don't sound like myself, um, a lot of things get limited. I certainly can't voice match because I don't have the flexibility within my voice. You can, for a light cold, you know, I can take some DayQuil, cool. maybe I can get through like an hour or so, but not for long. If you've been hired to do a voice, they expect you to come with what they heard in the audition or what they know you for. You can't sound anything other than that. And there's no way to, you, you can't really uh, trick the sound out. <laughs> right,
0: right, yeah. So just to kind of wrap things up, uh, this is a question that we ask all our interviewees, and, and this will be something special for you as well. Um you you're no doubt familiar with Disneyland. All the posts that you shared with us on Instagram and Facebook and on social media, you noticed the windows on Main Street. If Disney were to come to you one day and say we would like to honor you with a window in Main Street, what would you like it to say?
1: <laughs> that's such a great question. Nobody's ever asked me that. And um, considering that there's only one female up on the windows, and hers is far more well deserved, I don't think that's happening anytime soon. But. Um, if it were to I mean, happen what, what would my proprietary business be what would I be the proprietor of yeah. I think it would be one of two things as, as sort of because they always were of course somehow tied to what the person really did or, or a ho- hobby that they were really into so either it could be um, something having to do with um, candy you know like um, candy crafter or chocolate dipper because that was my job in college and <laughs> And I'm, at, I have such a sweet tooth, and the Candy Palace, and is one of my absolute favorite joyous places to be at Disneyland.
0: Oh, that's awesome! Um, <laughs>
1: so it may have something to do with that, or I imagine something having to do with sort of the Henry Higgins, you know, like um, vocal instruction or. You know, something cute like that that has to do with dialect dialectician or lose your accent or gain a new one or something clever like that that has to do with
0: voice doctor or something. Yeah,
1: something like (laughs) that. that, I would think. Um, But uh, but I you know, and I do mean this without blowing smoke. Um, The people who are up on those windows, they really deserve to be up on those windows, and uh, they've done a lot more. They've contributed contributed a lot more to the Disney parks, and then, you know, I'm, I'm so grateful for my small, small, tiny part of it, but those people really deserve to be up on the windows. Oh, so.
0: absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, Kat, we'll give you this little second tour here to end to promote anything that you'd like to promote. If there's a, you know, whether it's a website or any projects that you, you want the listeners to keep out, keep an eye out on or any podcasts.
1: Honestly, I mean, I, I, I get a lot of, I feel very grateful for all of the kudos that I get for, um, my you know my twitter which i work really hard to have really interesting fun fresh disney history and disney trivia and also to give people an inside look behind the scenes of voiceover so if you're into any of that or espn which is also I'm lucky to do a lot of voice work for espn then by all means feel free to follow me on twitter because I do really work hard to make sure it's interesting, fun content. And I'm sure you guys can vouch for that. But I I would just say, um, and and my Facebook, which by the way, I just have to say this as a side note, I'm so happy because when I started Facebook, which was only, I, I literally just started social media about 10 months ago on everything. I didn't have anything, believe it or not. I was a dinosaur. Um, Which is true of a lot of people in voiceover. We're just sort of so focused on the work. And because we're not tied directly to um, what the the on-camera world are sort of really expected to be sort of out there in terms of their presence. But in voiceover, we are sort of a hidden craft. So a lot of us don't necessarily do it. Um, and we're not allowed to talk about our projects until well after they've released right which is different from the on-camera world where they really want celebrities and, and actors to be pushing their projects that they're working on. So I loved the idea of Facebook because I was the way it was presented to me was look Twitter has to be obviously, you have to follow the character count. and You got to get really clever, and you got to get really crafty with it. And there's hashtags and da da da. Instagram is all is mostly visual, so we certainly I present great Disney trivia and pictures of the park. You know, I, it's a peep into my life, and and that's doing very well. Facebook, as you as anybody knows, is the hardest to build, especially in this day and age. It probably wasn't twenty years ago when it started. But to start it now, really, it takes a great deal of effort. And when I first started, nobody was paying attention. Nobody was on it. Uh, very hard to get traction unless you spend a lot of money. Um, it's just much more different social media. But I felt deep down, because it was a place where at the end of every I, I create what my Facebook post is going to be sort of the night before, usually around Midnight is when I get to doing what's going to post the next morning. And it's a chance for me to be very real and authentic about why I fell in love with the Disney parks, why I fell in love with Walt's vision for classic animation and all the other amazing things that he and his Imagineers and his artists created. And it's a place where I can be really authentic and talk to people one-on-one. And not, not try to be cute or clever or fit it into a very narrow scope and not play that game, but actually be real the way I would write into a, a, a journal or the way I would talk to someone over coffee and chat, and chat with them. So I feel so, I mean, I really mean this in the past few months, it's just sort of blown up and I'm so excited about that because it's, it's from my heart. And and a lot of times when I'm typing it, I mean, it'd be hilarious if there was a camera on me because I'm crying. I'm literally like tears are streaming down my face and I'm talking about something that touched me as a child, inspired me or some. I usually try and pay, you know, homage to great artists, voiceover actors, talents, um, visionaries, writers, all the people like like you guys. You know what your focus is, all the people who contributed to what Walt brought um, to me, that's so important to shine a spotlight on that person. So I'm basically saying thank you. And if you're at all into Disney history or the parks, I think you would really enjoy that because I work really hard in composing those to um, to put a lot of thought thoughtfulness and hopefully um, gratitude into them.
0: yeah, and and just to tell the listeners uh, they, they've been seeing us share the post that you've been grateful enough to yes, gracious enough to you. share with us. And look don't just get it from us cuz you know we're, we're trying to share it from different platforms follow her get it straight from get it straight from cat you know follow her on Instagram follow her on Facebook follow her on Twitter um, and get it straight from the source instead of getting a second hand through us. But <laughs> yeah, you know, we definitely do appreciate y- y'all following us. And please definitely do uh, patron- patronize all our social media outlets. Uh, but it's, it's just very, very fascinating. We thank you for sharing that with us and taking yeah, the time to pleasure. actually do that.
1: Really, an yeah. honor.
0: And Kat, thank you so much for taking the time to share uh, a little bit of your life in the voiceover industry uh, with our listeners. And thank you for inspiring those people listening that might want to go into the voiceover industry. My pleasure. So, guys, we hope you enjoyed that interview, and we'd love to hear your thoughts about it. To learn more about the Magic Our Way podcast, magicourway.com is the way to go. There you will find our social media links, past episodes, and more. You can get in touch with us through the following ways. You can shoot us an email at show at magicourway.com. You can call or send us a text at one eight one five 815 That's 1-815-669-4226. Or you can leave us a voicemail via the SpeakPipe widget on our homepage. You'll see that on the right-hand side of the page. So guys, you can support Eli and purchase his Project Geisha and Graphic Novel. You can shoot us an email at show at magicourway.com. Follow Eli on eivory five hundred four. Uh, You can follow his Twitter, Hancock10166, or you can find Eli on Facebook, E.H. Ivory. You can also download a digital copy of his comic book at peepgamecomics.com. So, guys, if you want to book a vacation, uh, if you need a Disney travel agent uh, who works for a Disney earmarked travel agency known as Magical Moments Vacations, um actually it is a platinum earmarked Disney Travel Agency. Go ahead and call our friend Lee, man, Lee Lastovica. You can email him at Lee at MagicOurWay.com or you can call him at 413 Diz Trip. That's 413 D I Z T R I P. And keep in mind, a portion of every booking that Lee does goes to support Girl Power to Cure, which is a nonprofit organization dedicated to raising awareness and funds for treatments and a cure for Rett syndrome. So so it's a win-win, man. You get a great vacation. You get a great a travel agent to go with it. And you also support a worthy cause. Support Magic our way in the following ways, guys. Uh, you can buy some beignets and support the show that way. The link is on their homepage. Represent the Mohegan Nation wherever you go by purchasing some clothing from our shop. And please leave a rating and a review in iTunes or wherever you download the show whether it is Stitcher, Blueberry, Google Play, iTunes Radio, whatever. And we thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen to us and making us a part of your Disney fan life. We appreciate you and love hearing from our listeners. All opinions are welcome on the Magic R.A. Podcast, so get in touch with us today. So, my weekends, ladies and gentlemen, we say Quahirini. My name is Kevin. Magic out.